This is Why Change, the podcast for a creative generation. We are your hosts. I'm Jeff. Hola, hola. Soy Carla. It's Rachel here. What's good, y'all? I'm Ashraf. And I'm Madeline. Why Change is a podcast that brings listeners around the globe to learn how artists, educators, and cultural practitioners can change the world one community at a time. We believe that young people are our world's greatest asset and recognize that we, as the adults who are dedicated to their creative development, have work to do so they can thrive. Listeners are invited each week to learn and laugh while envisioning new creative futures through the question, why change? All right, let's get started. Welcome to this episode of the Why Change podcast. Jeff here with my friend and co-host, Rachel. Rachel, how are you? I'm so good, Jeff. Hi, I'm coming to you from Gadigal country in the Eora Nation where sovereignty was never ceded. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. And Jeff, I think you know that the ravages of environmental destruction began here in the 1700s with colonization. And we're gonna center these issues today. Absolutely. And I am so excited to catch up with you today to learn a little bit about a conversation that you had with someone who is central to those dialogues happening in Australia right now, but also because of some of your activities of late. Do you want to tell everyone what you've been up to for the past couple of months? Absolutely, I do, because it's pretty much all I can think about and all I'm doing at the moment. I'm running for Parliament, Jeff. There's an election here. It is election time in so-called Australia, and I am running for the place where I live, and the seat's called Grainler. Grainler is a really, really special place. Obviously, it's where I live, but it's where my parents moved to in the 1960s when they arrived from India and the place has been totally gentrified now. They moved away and then I moved back as an adult. Um, So, but it's actually really historic for me. It's also the most progressive electorate in all of the country, which is really amazing, which means that people put climate justice as their number one issue, social issues, Um, queer and trans rights, they rate really highly, racial justice is really high for them. And honestly, Jeff, that's actually really unlike anywhere else in the country. So I'm incredibly lucky to be running here. I'm a member of the Greens. It's got a really high Green vote. I'm also running against the person who's going to be pretty much going to be our next Prime Minister. So it is a little bit about speaking truth to power as well. And so making sure that lots of issues, including environmental issues, are really high on the agenda. That's fantastic. I mean, we I am living just near Washington, D.C. I'm very engaged in politics myself and have been since I was a young person. But it is so important to have voices like yours at the table bringing these issues. And, and I really applaud the effort. So my one question, though, is what has it been like to be an educator, an artist centered right in these dialogues? How has that been? I can't tell you how amazing that's been. And this has been one of the best things is that all of the people working on the campaign team and all of my party as well, they asked me specifically to bring my full self as an educator, as an artist um, to 
to this conversation. And so that means that every conversation that I have, be it with the voters or with the media, is as an educator. And often I am educating people about our electoral system as I campaign. Um, often you are faced by people who don't agree with your message and things like that. And if I approach that as an educative conversation, I actually feel in a better and a stronger position. I feel more resilient at the end of that conversation. I always think this person's coming from a different perspective. That's something I learned as an artist is that we can still stand face to face as humans and, um, and we can have a dialogue about this and we can connect um, at some stage in the conversation, which is something that I learned. That doesn't apply to racists and homophobes, by the way. They're just jerks. <laughs> um, uh, can also engage in the education process uh, in a different way. Um, but also, as an artist, Jeff, all the stuff that we say every single day, all the things that we write in the policy documents, all the things that we advocate for, to have the opportunity to stand in front of our three main national media outlets, our national broadcaster, and I gave a press conference about the power of the arts and then released our policy, and they all listened to that. That is an opportunity I've never really had before, and it was it was really, it was honestly really powerful to me. And I'm not saying that politics is the answer. Every part of our conversation as arts educators and artists is the answer. Uh, but I actually think the political engagement is a big part of the answer. And I'm, um, I'm really advocating for more of it. That's fantastic. I love that. And I am very curious to see how it will all shake out. The election is coming up that will happen sometime between right now when we're recording and when this uh, releases. So I am sure we'll hear all about the final outcomes in our next conversation. But in the meantime, you had a powerful conversation with someone else who's engaged in those dialogues, but from a little bit of a different perspective. So tell us about your most recent interview. Jess Harwood is a powerhouse. So she speaks truth to power, but through this gorgeous medium of her illustrations, which is so joyful, so engaging, so much humour, so much um, kind of cuteness in a way when she's drawing animals. And people find her work so endearing and people share Jess Harwood's work all over the place, all over the internet, all over social media and things like that. And often don't know her name. She signs everything, of course. Um, but she's just really this prolific young artist now talking about social issues and environmental issues that are having such a massive effect on our life um, and calling out politicians such as she draws our Prime Minister as a lump of coal, which she'll talk about in the interview, and but just does it in a, such a fantastically engaging way. Jess is a woman of colour like myself. She's in the Indian Australian. Uh, she's also lives on Gadigal country. Um, and one of the things that I find interesting is that Jess is received extremely well. Um, and that's by a place, um, I, I think Australia is not hugely environmentally conscious. Um, and so she raises the consciousness. Whereas we just talked about my involvement in politics. So politics does tend to be pretty adversarial and pretty combative and pretty much like there can be winners and losers and we can't usually find middle ground. Whereas her way of engaging people in environmental and social conversations really brings people together. I've seen it. Um, being really transformative. I, I absolutely adore it. 
Well, great. I am so excited to hear the interview and I've already been looking at some of her art on Instagram. So let's have our listeners get to it and we'll come back on the flip side. Hello listeners, it's Rachel Jacobs, she, her pronouns here on the Why Change podcast. And today I have a legendary artist joining us, somebody who's dear to the hearts of many, even though they may not actually know your name, I'm afraid, Jess. Jess, I have seen your work being shared far and wide by people in really high-powered positions, but by also just people who are generally my friends and good community members. Jessica Harwood is who we're talking to today. So Jessica Harwood, first and foremost, is a friend of mine and is also one of my Indian sisters living here on Gadigal country and a fellow artist. So that's why I'm really excited to be interviewing one of my heroes, someone so close to my heart and someone who I've worked on a couple of projects um, before, but we're going to hear from Jess about what drives her and particularly what drives the intersection of art and environmental activism. Jess Harwood is an artist, a visual artist, and a campaigner living on Gadigal land in Sydney. And you may not recognise Jess's name, but a lot of people locally will recognise Jess's artworks. It's been shared on everything from the BBC to the ABC by heaps of social movements, charities, businesses. Uh, has She's had some features in The Guardian um, and does really, really... Uh, activist kind of illustrations that make people think, but make people think in a really unique unique way. Jess has also worked with organisations such as the Stop Adani Campaign, Democracy in Colour, 350.org, the Nature Conservation Council, and also with one of my projects with ITAC, the International Teaching Artists Collaborative. Well, it's time to hear from Jess. Please welcome Jess Harwood. Oh, such a warm welcome. And Rachel, right back at you. You are absolute legend and one of the big inspirational local artists that I look up to as well. So it's so great to join you. Oh, mutual appreciation. (laughs) Yes, I want to start by connecting with you was so exciting because I admired your work online. And then I found out that we were both (laughs) Anglo-Indian. I know. Mind-blowing. And um, Anglo-Indians believe that we're all related as well. (laughs) We probably are. We must be. (laughs) There's not many of us. So the first thing Jess and I talked about is are we related, but also our deep connection with environmental movements that are informed by our South Asian heritage. Do you want to tell me a little bit about how you bring that to the space of art and the space of cartooning? Because I think that's really important in both of our message. Mm, yeah, totally. And um, it's always there. Like identity is so central to what you do as an artist that it, it comes out in probably ways that we're not even um, aware of. But for me, it kind of all started with my mum who moved here in 1970s and um, she had a really um, great awareness of moving to a country which had, you know, a lot of clean air and water and um, a lot of resources that she didn't grow up with um, back in India. And so, you know, little things that kind of informed us growing up where, you know, we weren't allowed to just wash vegetables and let that clean water go down the sink because that was precious. And so we had to save that and put that on the garden. And, and you know, she really taught me about the um, growing up, we lived right next to some bush 
Um, and we, I was lucky enough to live in a Sydney, but see, you know, uh, tawny frogmouths and powerful owls and snakes and, and all of the amazing wildlife here. And mum really instilled in me a really deep appreciation for, um, for nature that we have in Australia. Um, but also an, an understanding of, you know, how people feature in environmentalism as well. Um, and, you know, I think, I think really a lot of it comes back to, to my mom. She's a massive inspiration for me um, as a, you know, as a person who's come here and, and really, you know, had a little bit of a challenging start, but, but also supported me to do art. I feel very privileged, actually, to have that support from both mum and dad. That's fantastic. That's so fantastic, Jess. And shout out to Jess's mum as well. And I'll just call Jess's mum auntie. Yes. Her name, but I'm positive that she's my auntie. <laughs> Absolutely. In the past, a lot of the environmental movement, particularly here in so-called Australia, has been really centred in white perspectives. Mm. So how do you think what we do is perhaps different or signals a bit of a departure from that? How are we part of the movement to decolonise the environmental movement? Mm. Yeah, I think like part of it is just telling alternate, telling stories that relate back to, you know, what might be happening back at home in India or Bangladesh or, you know, wherever you sort of um, hail from. And those stories are kind of relatable in a way to people in the diaspora in Australia um, and relate to climate change, you know, for, on the front lines in many ways. And that makes a, a very different connection for people who are living in Australia but have connections um, back home to South Asia. And so just bringing and raising up those stories and those experiences um, is, is, I think, like an awareness of the importance of doing that is something that we bring to the environment movement mm -hmm. and um, you know and if we think about climate justice um, which is what we you know as opposed to climate action mm -hmm. we do want to be aware of privilege and who's on the front lines of and resilience and who has the resilience to withstand and adapt to climate impacts and many times it's not people in South Asia who are, you know, being impacted at home, who might, might have their crops fail or don't have the resilience to be able to survive like we might be able to here in Australia. And just raising up the awareness that that is, that is the face of climate change um, mm. for, for, you know, globally, that's a really essential thing that we need to do. Yeah, absolutely, is to centre those perspectives, um, those people who are going to be hit first and hardest mm. by the climate crisis. And I think that you express that beautifully through some of your work. So let's get to your beautiful work, which is so recognisable. Do you know, even before I see your little sign-off, I can say that's a Jess Harwood. <laughs> I, that is good to hear. <laughs> I Sometimes know. I feel like the style is super random. <laughs> Oh, I love the style. So you've drawn our Prime Minister, which hopefully by the time our audience hears this will be our former Prime Minister because we're 12 days out from the election. You've drawn our Prime Minister as a piece of coal. Yeah. Tell us why you did that. Tell us why you did that. And this is an international audience that we have on this podcast. Um, and tell us what, how people reacted to our Prime Minister being drawn as a piece of coal. Yeah, there were basically, there was two reasons why I, I kind of like 
did that. The first was I really got sick of drawing his face and, and I, drawing a piece of coal is actually pretty simple. It's, um, it's just a lump and then you colour it in. And, but it was also so fitting because, um, you know, I, maybe some of the audience don't know, but um, about, I'm not sure what it was, four years ago, our Prime Minister stood up in Parliament brandishing a piece of coal and saying, this is coal, don't be scared, don't be frightened, um, it's coal. And his, un, you know, his support for the fossil fuel industry in Australia has just been immense since then, despite you know, catastrophic bushfires and floods. And so it's just so fitting that he and the environment minister are representatives as the thing that they value so much, which is coal, um, the th very thing that we need to, as Australians, be planning a transition away from for a safe future. I so couldn't have said it better. <laughs> How was the reaction to him being um, on his coal? Really positive, I think. <laughs> people, people just, yeah, were 100% behind him being a piece of coal. <laughs> that cartoon, so do you use the phrase cartoon or illustration or animation? What do you use? Uh, a comic or cartoon. Sometimes I say infotune if there's like a lot of information in it. Yeah. Um, since that, I, all I've ever seen when I look at him is this body with a head. <laughs> which is a piece of coal. So I have you to thank for that. <laughs> Apart from that, are there any pieces you've done which are really close to your heart? Um, particularly, I guess, some of the explainers where you view mm. art as an educative source for your activism? Mm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I've worked on the Stop Adani campaign for almost five years and um, the thing that gets me super excited is when we have a complex message, because I work as a communications professional, but a complex message that actually, you know, it takes a number of steps for people to understand, um, but then turning that into um, an infographic or a cartoon where we, I can actually step people through the significance of certain things um, and that actually, you know, that helps people understand and become aware of, um, what's going on in the climate or with Adani, the coal company or, um, you know, anything like that. That really excites me. So I'm trying to think of, I've done quite a few of them for Stop Adani. Mm. Um, maybe the one that went is, um, that went off the most was kind of talking about Adani and the um, human rights impacts of what Adani company was doing in Goda in India, which is where Australian coal was being sent. Yes. Um, and talking about how, you know, local communities were having their lands dispossessed and there was, um, it was actually, it's quite a um, shocking story that was revealed by the ABC. And just stepping that out for people to understand that Australian coal is actually having human rights impacts in India and we are part of that process and we need to be aware of that. And through art, you really shed light on that, which was so accessible to everyone and I think what it also enabled us to communicate is that we are sold a narrative here that the Adani Carmichael mine and for some of our international listeners this is a mine that is um, going is absolutely huge and um, I believe in some places the size of Belgium and things like that it's just um yeah so overwhelming um I won't spend too much time talking about that because I don't want to give Adani Carmichael <laughs> any more airplay uh, than it already has um but 
standing against those projects, one of the things that we're told is it'll create all these jobs and all this industry. Mm. And we can point to places in India where Adani projects have already failed, where a community was uh, left with nothing except a big hole in the ground and poisoned water and polluted air. So drawing that direct line, I think, is very useful for our own activism. Mm. And through that really accessible um, medium of art, I think is is really beautiful. But I want to ask you about something related to that. Jess, what I love about your work is the balance. You do that, but you also come out with things that are connect with people on a human level, such as what lockdown bird are you? <laughs> yes. Such as what um, would it be an Australian plant are you? Yes. And pandemic petals. Pandemic <laughs> petals and things like that. I, and these are not so much activist pieces. They're just beautiful and engage humans on a really, really um, aesthetic way of connecting with each other. Do you find that work as important as the activist work that you do? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, I think you need, you know, uh, in a place like social media, if you kind of, you do need to be a little bit varied and human and, um, I think if I just did, we, we also, you know, we're also living our lives. We may be climate activists and artists, but we're also, you know, living through unprecedented times and trying to work out how, how to do that. And I think by connecting with people where they're at um, through those cartoons or, and just having some fun, because we really need some joy and fun in our lives, don't we? It's just oh. like, it, it can't be all climate crisis. And, you know, it, it, we need to have the, a laugh and have a, have a good time so I think that they're those posts are just as sort of essential as um the climate explainers that I do because um it actually it just makes people feel a bit lighter or you know the thing that I found with the the um quarantine birds one that I did was people were just sending it to you know I had one on there which was a cockatoo who was kind of into conspiracy theories and you know it was quite funny because people were tagging you know their aunties and uncles and being like hey you're a cockatoo and like and having a bit of a laugh but also the other birds as well like the the owl that started oh the owl that was just really super happy to be locked down because it didn't really have a big social life anyway people really identified with these different birds and had um, it kind of, I think, and I hope it kind of helped people to make a bit of sense of where they were at at that time. I certainly believe that it did. And I saw it shared thousands of times. And I guess that opens the door for people to engage with your other kinds of art mm. that are more activist, that are more advocating for environmental responsibility um, and people come and follow your page and things like that. So uh, find, I find your graphics like a bit of a portal that people walk through towards greater understanding of environmental and I will say social issues as well. Mm. That you worked outside the environmental sphere and uh, with Democracy in Colour, which is an anti-racist organisation as well. And so your artwork is so engaging. I will put some up in the links. Oh, the colours... The um, there's there's something joyful about it, Jess. Is that a <laughs> conscious decision? Um, by the way, you are the best koala artist I've ever seen. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> is there something? Is that a conscious decision? Uh, the joy and mm. the the endearing nature of what you do, or is this just your style? <laughs> oh, that's so kind. Thank you, Rachel. Um, I think 
I have to, I'll tell you a secret and um, I, I hope this reflects okay, but the best things I've done have literally taken me 10 minutes and like the ones that have gone super, super viral, well, not maybe some of them have taken a little bit longer, but I just literally don't even worry about what things look like or, you know, I just kind of go with the flow and it's sort of like just, I think maybe many artists feel that. It just sort of comes out of you and then I put it up and then, uh, you know, and then people really, really like it. And so sometimes I find the more you labour over something and really worry about what it looks like and, you know, is it pretty or I think people don't, as long as the message or the timeliness or something is right and it hits people right in the, you know, in the guts or the heart where they're really feeling it at the time, then it actually doesn't matter too much how it looks like. But, yeah, I don't spend too much time on some of them. I just sort of think, gosh, this has got, just got to get out of there. And people seem to still like it. You're absolutely right. Um, an example of that is... You did the simplest illustration and I'm sure, you know, don't want to make a judgment on your art, but I don't think you laboured over this one <laughs> too much. There was this period of time where we had a massive COVID outbreak over here and then I think uh, we had the Ukrainian, uh, the invasion of the Ukraine break out mm. and something else happened at the same time and you just did this picture that said it's a lot and I just remember mm. thinking it really is. Actually, you know, I was wondering <laughs> if I could go on or just it yeah. just felt so overwhelming. And just to see your image that said it's a lot spoke to exactly what I was going through at that time. Mm. And I think the timeliness is really key in what you do. Uh, so, um, Jess, you've also been really supportive of School Strikers for Climate, uh, which is really fantastic. Is that something that you can support through your art as well, where we're both a little bit beyond the school years. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but how do, you, how do you support some of our younger activists and artists as well? Oh, wow. I mean, goodness, thinking about um, creativity and art and some of those signs that you see at the school strikes, like no comparison. Those guys just, you know, are incredible, oh. incredible. Um, I, one day I hope they do an exhibition of all those signs. But, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I basically, um, I do, I work with I've been kind of friendly with a lot of school strikers because obviously we're interested in the same things and I just absolutely love them, their enthusiasm and creativity and passion. Um, and I do work with um, a couple of sort of graduated school strikers at SAPNA, South Asian Climate Solidarity. Let's talk about and, SAPNA for a while. Tell us about yeah. SAPNA, of which I'm a member as well. You're a member? I'm um, a very non-active member because I always have Bollywood <laughs> dancing at the night that we meet. So tell us about Sapna. <laughs> Sapna, Sapna. Well, we've got, we've, we're kind of like growing. We're kind of just um, can't got our name last year and we've formalised. We've been back and forth through lockdowns and things. But basically we're a group of um, people with South Asian heritage who find themselves involved in um, climate campaigns, environmental campaigns in Australia. And we have just connected through being, um, having a slightly different, you know, identity and experience in the climate movement and creating this group, which is, um, has a number of different purposes, but mainly to create space for um, people of South Asian heritage so that we can um, support each other and have a safe space to debrief and maybe influence climate justice narratives as well in the climate movement in Australia. And who knows, maybe um, doing some organising in future or um, running our own 
projects and campaigns. And so we're kind of like a very varied group of people. Some of us are school strikers, some of us are artists like yourself, and some of us are academics, and, but all of us are interested in climate justice and passionate to forge out a space for people from South Asia within the climate justice movement here and, uh, and there. Yes, and I am very proud to be a part of SUPNA and I'll just pause there to mention that one of the great things for me about SUPNA, one of the critical things is it's informed by First Nations justice. Mm. That it, it has a recognition that there can be no climate justice without First Nations justice and First Nations perspective must always lead. And I think that's one of the changing faces of I guess the migrant experience here that we have is that we come from colonised backgrounds but are now colonisers here and must recognise that our place must stand in solidarity with First Nations people. Mm. Um, and shout out to all our Sapna um, friends and all our friends from the South Asian diaspora are fighting for justice in all fields. Um, Jess, I've got some closing up questions. So firstly, yeah. what is next for Jess Harwood? What's coming up? Oh, my gosh. Um, I, more koalas, definitely. Excellent. Excellent. Um, hopefully I won't have to draw too many more lumps of coal leaders. Um, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. And, yeah, I've got some things in the works. Um, uh, maybe uh, I'd love to do a kid's book at some stage, oh. but got lots of climate justice explainer ideas and so just need to get some time to be able to do them in particular. Absolutely I think that reaching out to children through illustrated books would be absolutely amazing. Mm. So Jess you've already talked about your mum is there anyone else you want to mention that inspires you? Oh my goodness I mean um, gosh so many people <laughs> when I think in the climate justice movement I mean I think, um, you know, looking at the resistance of the Wangan and Jagalingu people um, and just and Indigenous people all over Australia who for 200 years have resisted colonisation and now are, are fighting on fronts for trying to protect the, their culture and land and waters from, you know, particularly from coal and gas projects, that resilience is mind-blowing and that that is the biggest inspiration for me and very humbling when I think oh gosh this is very overwhelming for me to yeah. realize that there are actually people who've been doing this for centuries and it's um that must just be so much so hard to do that that's an inspiration to me too yeah yeah they yeah they keep going and um, yeah, that pushes us to keep going as well. So solidarity for that. I'm giving you all mm. that. Jess, what keeps you grounded? Bike riding. Oh. Bike riding and dark beer and chocolate cake. And okay. <laughs> just, I, I think it's really important, you know, talking about, um, I am passionate also about talking about mental health and yeah. dealing with climate, the climate crisis is very overwhelming and um, can shake you to your core. So you need to do the things that are within your control that bring you a bit of joy. And, um, you know, for me, that's art, but also bike riding. I'm just, I'm a bit evangelical about bike riding at the moment because I just went on a bike riding holiday. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Environmentally conscious and it feeds you. So that's perfect. Yes. 
<laughs> if everything's getting a bit much, Jess will make you bike ride to a dark beer and a piece of chocolate cake. And that's it. <laughs> maybe a bike ride from, from the brewery to the bakery. Oh, and oh, yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> fantastic. Jess, our final question for every guest is the same. Why change? We can't afford not to. Agreed. Agreed. And the urgency of that is getting so great, isn't it? Mm, yes. We can't delay anymore. We've kind of, in Australia, wasted 10 years on climate, the climate wars, and we have another 10 years to go, and we just need to hit the ground running. Jess Harwood, thank you so much for joining me on the Why Change podcast. Thank you, Rachel. It's been an absolute pleasure. And we're back. Rachel, wow. Uh, you weren't joking when you said that Jess is a powerhouse. If Listeners, if you have not seen her work, go check out the links in the show notes. It is absolutely incredible. Uh, Rachel, what are your big takeaways from your conversation with Jess? I guess that that conversation should, whether it's through art or through media or whatever medium that you're using, that it is a joyful conversation that connects with that human experience, which is exactly what we do through the arts all the time. But also that your message can be translated to large-scale platforms like somewhere as big as The Guardian um, and can be printed there or through a very small-scale platform that you can do an artwork that just reaches out to, you know, a handful of people or your best friend and that gives them a message of hope, that that is central to the conversation, particularly around environmental justice. My God, it's easy to sit and despair and... Jeff, just a shout out to all my um, my Indian and subcontinental brothers, sisters and non-binary folk who are currently enduring a heat wave um, and an unprecedented heat wave in May. There are um, temperatures of 49 degrees. So this should not be. Once again, reminding us that climate justice is racial justice. And it's so easy to despair and go, oh my God, we've, we've actually fucked it. We've fucked it all. But somebody like Jess winds it back to it's a hopeful conversation. Mm -hmm. It can be done through humour. It can be done through beauty. And that means that change, I guess, feels more accessible. Yeah, 100%. I think that was one of the quotes that struck me from Jess's dialogue with you, where she was basically saying, you know, so much of what we are talking about right now in this conversation is, is very complex and very nuanced. Like we're actually talking about, you know, deep, deep science and whether it's COVID-19 or um, climate change or the impacts of, you know, the fossil fuels industries or other things, it's like you said, it's really easy to either just say, oh, you know, give it up, we're, you know, we're done or to go and, you know, hold up a protest sign with a slogan but that's a little oversimplified. And what I loved about her art is that it is that nuanced, intricate conversation that presents new perspectives that are accessible to people. And it really is a way to use cartoon and, and humor or infographics and visualization to reach people who otherwise would be disenfranchised from the dialogue or maybe would only cop to one of those slogans instead of actually engaging in the discourse, which is really 
what we need, right? That's why you got involved in politics. That's why artists are part of politics. That's why politics and, and social uh, constructs in, in, in our society are really intertwined, I think, at least. I can't agree more, Jeff. And I think that's one of the things about this conversation that we have about the climate crisis is that we've invested really hard in the science rightly because we know the science we the science is indisputable and um and um i did a candidate forum just the other day where there was a climate skeptic who is running oh my god they're everywhere they just <laughs> they're not they're very 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 tiny minority of people here luckily but they have a very large microphone and you know somebody said okay we, we can debate whether climate change is happening then we'll debate gravity um so mm-hmm. We, we know the science, but we've invested hard in it. And what it's meant that if somebody doesn't agree with the science, they just turn around and say, say I don't agree. Whereas if you show somebody an art, like Jeff, Jess Harwood's art, which has an angry koala, a uh, little gorgeous angry face on this adorable koala, uh, giving the government an F grade on, um, on climate change, uh, and you read through her work, you will be profoundly changed. You know, you look at her infographics and they're so beautifully set out. And again, they contain so many animals which people connect to. And you remember that information. You see artworks about the destruction of the Great Barrier Reef and you're profoundly changed. Having the conversation through art is critical because it accesses what it is to be human it accesses our humanity and that's the stuff that we can't run from is that standing shoulder to shoulder with each other and of course the animals um, to make sure that we have some change for the better you couldn't have said it any better i think that that message is incredible and i love that just also it works with young people i was really struck by the volunteerism and mentorship and collaboration with the young people who are walking out of their schools. Can you actually just give a little bit of context to that movement as it is happening, obviously all around the world, but what that specifically looks like in the Australian education system? It's really huge here as it is all over the world, but it is also very particular. School Strike for Climate, uh, you know, begun by many um, but the pioneer being Greta Thunberg, walking out of school classrooms to say that we demand better for climate justice and a rising of, of young people around the world demanding climate action has been one of the most inspiring things, Jeff, I've seen for so long. You know what? The kids are all right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are demanding action outside of our classrooms, saying this is not good enough. Largely here... Uh, supported by their teachers and the system who try to facilitate around to make that happen. And the idea is that the action has to be um, has to be disruptive. That's the point. It has to be challenging and things like that. So over here, the conversation is definitely centred around First Nations justice as well. We cannot have climate justice without First Nations justice. Um, also, we can't have climate justice without racial justice. All racial justice here begins with First Nations justice. And with that recognition that, um, that the environment was kept sustainably and perfectly in harmony until European arrival with colonisation. And so what we're doing is working back the ravages of colonisation. 
and the young people have completely centred that. It's not just an acknowledgement of country at the beginning of the rallies, although I recognise the importance of acknowledgements, but it is about centering First Nations perspectives. So that is really powerful in itself. Uh, it is hugely about bringing people together and about centering people of colour's perspectives, which is so awesome for me because when I grew up, the environmental movement was really white in Australia. And so now I'm seeing um, so many people, including a lot of um, a lot of my sisters from um, the South Asian diaspora, lead these conversations and um, tell talk about how powerful and important the environment is to them as migrants because they've seen the ravages in their home country they're seeing it right here um, it's such an inspiring thing to you know I'm not part of it because it is to be led by young people and school strikers but to be supportive of and Jess supports that through her artwork and she's you know constantly uh, in the lead up to a school strike she is promoting and centering their perspective she's creating work that supports that I'm looking at one here which is just so adorable um, it is about the coral the destruction of um, the Great Barrier Reef coral reefs and it's got a little starfish and a turtle and a dolphin giving the middle finger to the government and I just love that so much it's it's the cutest thing ever and you know that's how you stand beside and behind our young people is by bringing our art to their conversation exactly and I think supporting and and working through the experience that we have together as art makers, right? As arts educators, we are in the process of making art with young people, whether collaboratively or side by side or in, through inspiration and, um, you know, cyclical exchange. And the fact that young people can see that as an example, as part of their activism, as part of their resistance, as part of their discourse, or even of their learning and their consumption of knowledge, right? You know, how many, how many young people are going to read one of those super scientific reports that comes out from these big think tanks? No, but they're going to see how it's distilled through the messaging and communications campaign through visual art, perhaps, um, or maybe through music or theater or other media in, in our sector. I just, I love that. And I'm so inspired to see um, also that Jess is a well-known artist and she's just getting out of their way. I mean, that is one of those conversations that we have all the time that, God, I was just in a, a conversation the other day where we were talking about the two biggest things that adults can do to support young artists is to listen and to get out of the way. Yes, and that, that is yes. exactly what we see here. I mean, it's really easy to kind of get wrapped up in the, the fame or the ego or other things that do come with making excellent art in the world and to have that slice of humility to support the young change makers that are out there leading the way. And with a conversation like climate, those are the folks that we need to be listening to, at least in my opinion. That's right. And it's really easy, I guess, to claim their work or, or to have some stake in it or, or to be like, I mentored this person or they're part of my, you know, my environmental group or, and it's like, no, their work stands um, and we stand in support of it. 
and yeah getting out of the way or shutting up or whatever and giving space I think is is really really important I think it's always for me is a good moment at the school strikes where they say we're going to march now but just a reminder that this is led by school strikers so if you are at school can you please come forward and there's very specific that means if you're at primary or at high school because I think a lot of people want to claim their space I am in a political party and uh, there are forces that unwittingly wield power and would be like, I'm an environmental activist, I'm going to the front and it's just a reminder um, to pull back and I think that can be used as a metaphor for different areas of our work, uh, be it in education or be it in politics or in the art world. I totally agree, I totally agree. Well, there's some tremendous lessons in this conversation the dialogue certainly is not ending here. You yourself are part of a climate collective uh, project that is happening with the International Teaching Artists Collaborative that, Madis, uh, that Madeline talks about uh, quite a bit in some of our conversations. And so we will continue to dive into these topics over time and look forward to hearing how that goes. But for now, that does bring us to the end of our time. Any last thoughts to leave our folks with? It's just um, that through art, we can save the world. I honestly believe that. Um, I have believed that all the way through my engagement with art and politics and just to have the message that through art, change starts now Um, because when we're profoundly changed on the outside, sorry, when we're profoundly changed on the inside, we can change what happens on the outside in the world around us. What a wonderful note to end on. And Rachel, best of luck in the upcoming election. We're thrilled that you are running and it's been great to be part of that journey from the civil disobedience. Check out the blog (laughs) uh, on our website through the response to COVID-19 and now your work um, with your political party. So best of luck and we will catch you next time. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Why Change, the podcast for a creative generation. If you would like to support this podcast aimed at amplifying the voices of creative changemakers around the world, please consider donating through the link located in the episode's show notes. These show notes contain all sources discussed in the episode. Be sure to follow, like, subscribe, and share the Why Change podcast to make sure you and your networks get episodes delivered directly to you and that you don't miss any stories of creative work happening around the world. If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Also, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at info at creative-generation.org. We would love to hear your ideas, the topics you want to learn about, and why change matters to you. This episode was produced by me, Jeff M. Poulin. Artwork by Bridget Woodbury. Our digital media producer is Daniel Stanley. This podcast theme music is by Distant Cousins. A special thanks to our contributors, co-hosts, and the team at Creative Generation for their support.